Good morning. So these are my snow survivors, the ones who braved it. It's so weird when it snows in April, but I'm glad you're here. Um, we are on a journey towards Easter called Lent, and this is our last um, part of the series. And our sermon series has been the Great Reorientation, and this whole idea of reorienting our lives around Jesus, not around the world like we used to, but around the model and example and life of Christ. And throughout the whole thing, we've talked about having different lenses and looking at life in a different point of view and perspective and um, the whole idea that God invites us into that, that we don't have to live the way we were. We don't have to be bogged down and weighed down by the things of the earth, but we have this new mindset and this new life offered to us. So this whole idea of the great reorientation and the, the questions that we've been asking ourselves all these weeks has been, who is Jesus? Who am I? And confess the difference. The idea of there's a difference between what the world's offering and what Jesus is offering, and we've got to figure out where we fit in to that. So confessing the difference there. So in week one, we talked about in a world full of shortcuts, what gets done is important. What we do in life is important. But what's more important is how we do it. So we're looking at Jesus' life. We're choosing him as our, our compass, our role model, our example, and our leader in our lives. And in week two, we talked about responding to disruptions. And not just like, responding to disruptions, because we all have this natural tendency to be like, ah, disruptions, this isn't how I planned it to be. And we have our natural reaction. Um, but what Jesus does is he works us through those disruptions to be a, a role model for him to show the rest of the world that there's another way. Week three, we talked about viewing all of life through a new set of lenses Week four, we talked about our point of view in life towards others and towards the world around us needs to be different. Our whole mindset needs to shift. And last week, Pastor Cassie talked about um, our goals and aspirations in life and how we should keep our first priority on Christ. Today, we're going to talk about staying the course. And I'm super excited about this because it's looking at how Jesus dealt with right before the Last Supper— to the time he's killed and buried. And we're like looking at how he did that. And I think it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And so I'm asking you, I'm just curious, um, raise your hand if you have started something and you were in it and then you wanted to quit. Anybody? Okay, good, it's not just me, great. Because I could think, I'm like thinking about this and I'm like, I don't know how many times in life where I start something and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Okay, I'm out, can't handle this, don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, I, I have many, many examples of that. One being in junior high when my dad's like, you should join the cross-country team. And I'm like, sure, what do you do? He's like, you just run around, jump over logs. You run for time for fun, like long distances. I, yeah, I was many times like, why am I doing this to myself? Why, why did I agree to this? Um, so what we're going to be doing today is looking at chapters 22 and 23 from Luke and looking at this kind of journey to the cross that Seth's talking about with Good Friday, um, this journey Jesus was on 
Um, but I'm not going to go into the, the super details of it. We're going to look at it from a bird's eye point of view because Good Friday, we're going to talk about the Stations of the Cross. So I encourage you to come back Friday, 6.30 here. It's going to be a really good time. I just, I would encourage you to come. So if you want to turn to Luke 22, 23, I'm kind of just going to be hitting the bullet points to give you an idea, the context of what Jesus was going through, um, what his disciples were going through, what other people might be going through in those situations. So this is the journey to the cross. And as I, I summarize these scenes, um, keep in mind that all of them happened within um, a couple hours like within a day or so, but it was just kind of like one thing after another. It wasn't like a couple months long. It was all a pretty set amount of time. So um, as you're listening as well, think about at which point you would have been like, yeah, I'm done. This is too much. Can't handle it. I'm out. So think about it, and I'm thinking about it too. So chapter 22 starts off with Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. So Judas was one of the disciples, and he had been learning and hanging out with Jesus and the other boys for three years. And at some point, he was just like, eh, I'd rather get paid to turn him over, and they can do what they want with him, but I'd rather get some money. So Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And what's crazy to me is that who he betrayed Jesus to, it, they weren't just like mad at Jesus. They were mad at his disciples too. So they were like shocked. If you're reading chapter 22, the first section, they're like shocked that he's willing to help them. Like it even surprises them as it surprises us. The next section is the Last Supper, and we talk about every week when we take communion. But knowing what was coming, Jesus took ordinary things, bread and juice, and gave them extravagant significance. Like the boys are like, it's bread and juice. I don't understand. And he's like giving them whole new meaning and purpose so that in the future when they take the bread and the juice that they are reminded of how much Jesus loves them. The next section is Jesus calling Peter out um, about his betrayal. And I don't know if you were here the last time I spoke, but I talked about how I have FOMO, the fear of missing out. I feel like me and Peter would have been like best friends because anytime Jesus is like, let's do this. Peter's like, I'm in. I got it. Like, just I'll go, I'll do it. And in this situation, Jesus is like, now some of you are going to betray me. And Peter's like, not me, God. Like, I'm your boy. Ride or die. Let's do this. And I would have totally been in the same, like, I got it, Jesus. Like, you can count on me. And he's like, no, it's not going to work that way. And he tells Peter that not only is he going to, like, betray him or, like, deny him, but it's going to happen three times. Like, that's kind of awkward because he was like the first to jump in. And it's like, no, not only will you deny me once, not twice, it's going to be three times. The next section is where Jesus prays in the garden. And the way that I read it, this is when I would be like, I'm tapping out, can't do it. Um, in a few moments of anxiety and desperation, Jesus asked God for a way out. But in the end, he realigns himself to God's plan and not his own. This is where I would have been like having the panic attack and being like, can't do it. Get me out of here. The next part is Jesus is betrayed and arrested. And in the dark, out in the secluded garden, Jesus is abandoned by all of his friends, all of them. 
and is taken away by the religious people who want to get rid of him. The next section is Peter denies Jesus. Peter wants to see what's happening, so he like kind of hangs back in the crowd when they take Jesus away, but he gets kind of too close, and people are like, hey, you're one of his friends, aren't you? He's like, no, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't even know that guy. I'm just by the fire. And it happens over and over again. And the third time, just like Jesus said it would, Peter's like, I have no clue who that guy is. I don't know who this Peter guy is. I don't know anybody. Stop bothering me. And he denies him the third time. The next part is Jesus goes before the council and away from the crowds, these religious, this religious group of people took him before their governing religious council where they lied about him, they mocked him, they hid him, and in the morning they turn him over to like the, the city governing council, not just like the religious council. They turn him over to the city officials. The city officials, when Jesus is before Pilate and Herod, they're like, there's nothing wrong. Like, who cares that he's saying he's your king, he's not a king, whatever, get over it, move on. But the religious people are like, kill him, crucify him. So they're like, well, I don't want a mob to break out. I don't want, you know, the city to be in uproar. So they decide that, okay, what does it matter if we kill one guy? So they whip him and sentence him to death on a cross. The last two parts, Jesus is crucified and dies. Jesus has to carry his own cross to the outskirts of town where he's nailed to it. None of his disciples are there, and that's where he dies. And then he's buried, his body's taken off the cross and put in a tomb. And so, I'm sure you're wondering, like, why are we talking about staying the course? Like, he did die. Why are we talking about this? But I want to focus on the second part of my title, staying the course, the path of peace. Because I think that Jesus modeled peace in every situation that he was in, which is a huge thing for us as humans, because I think the last thing we think about when we have disruptions in life is like, what's the peaceful option? Like, who is thinking that? We're not. But in the most intense time of Jesus's life, the time where we're all like tapping out, nope, I'm done. I can't. This is overwhelming. This is uncomfortable. I don't like this. Jesus not only is sticking it out, but he's showing grace and forgiveness and peace and hope and mercy in every step of the way. I mean, if I was Jesus, who's fully human and fully God, I would have been like, you don't know what you're doing. You know, he's handcuffed and stuff. I'm God. Just wait until he finds out what you're doing. Like, he, he didn't even yell back. Like, that's how calm he was. My go-to is yelling, but he did not do that. And so I'm wondering, like, I, I think we all think, why would you go through that? But not just why, because we know why. Jesus loves us. He wants to be with us forever. He wants to extend eternal life to us. But I want to focus today on how he did it. Because I just explained, like, I am one to be like, I'm done. Can we pick the easier option? How did Jesus get through that? I think the two things that helped him were the peace and hope in God. Because, yes, Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully, fully human. But to be able to be fully human like we are and to choose the option of peace and the option of hope, that, God, things are not as I want them to be, 
but I'm trusting that you're going to take care of it. I think Jesus was okay with living in the tension, this tension of it's not okay, but I'm trusting that you're going to make it okay. Jesus had this undeniable call on his life, and with that purpose, you continue on. A lot of you have jobs that sometimes it's really stressful, sometimes it's uh, unsafe or you're unsure of how things are going to work out, but you chose that job with purpose. I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not just in it and then I'm going to quit when it gets hard. Parenting. I'm not a parent, but I do have 20 third graders that I'm in charge of every day at school, and I just keep thinking about I, I chose this career on purpose. I'm here to help these children. No matter what happens during the day, I'm here to help them. I have a purpose for that. And Jesus, we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, doing things is good, but how we do them is really important. And Jesus navigated his life with purpose in a world full of shortcuts. So it's, it might be easy for us to be like, I'm just going to not go to work and I'm just going to find another job, or I'm just going to pass this to the side, let somebody else deal with it. But Jesus is like, no, I, I need to do this, and I need to do it the right way. I'm not just going to have angels come and save me. They could. I'm not just going to have God do this a different way. He could, but I need to do it the way he asked me to do it. So he was okay with living in that tension. Things are not as they should be, but I'm trusting in God's character that he's going to make them the way they should be. These are some moments, if we look back at all the bullet points I talked about in Luke 22 to 23, the ways that he specifically, to me, showed peace in the path of peace, the journey to the cross. Uh, chapter 22, he extends forgiveness to Judas before he even betrays Jesus. So it hasn't even happened yet. Judas is still like deciding what he's going to do. He doesn't have to go and betray him, even though he said he would. But Jesus offers the same bread and juice he offers Peter, same bread and juice he offers the other guys who stick with him, he offers it to Judas, knowing what Judas is going to do. That's showing forgiveness. That's showing calmness. He's not calling him out like, just wait. Like He's not doing that. There's no point of that. But he's showing grace and forgiveness right there in that moment. The next moment, this one blows my mind. When Jesus is arrested... Peter tries to fight back with a sword, and he ends up cutting the ear off one of the soldier's servant guys. And Jesus is like, let me heal you. So the boys are like ready to fight. Like, we're defending Jesus. He said he's going to die, but you're not going to take him over my dead body. And so Peter whips out the sword. He tries to, tries to fight back, and Jesus is like, enough of this. We're done fighting. We're done resisting. I have a new way of life. And it's not going to be fighting back. It's not going to be standing your ground. Just go. Let's go. God's got a plan. He's going to take care of it. And that just is amazing to me. Chapter 23, Jesus stays calm in every moment that he's being interrogated. So like I said, I would have been like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm God. Just wait. He doesn't say anything. Like that. He doesn't even like try to defend himself. When they're like, people say you're the son of God. Is that true? And he's like, yeah. He's not like, I'll prove all the ways that I'm the son of God. 
I'll show you. He, don't, he knows he doesn't need to do that. He's showing peace and calm. And how many of us are doing that in situations where we're like, oh, they're not understanding. Jesus shows kindness to the criminals on the crosses. One of them's mocking him. You're the son of God and you can't save yourself. Are you really the son of God? And the other one's like, Jesus, please, I know you can do it. Remember me when you go to your father. And Jesus is like, you bet. Jesus shows forgiveness to the people who killed him. As they're killing him, he's like, Father, forgive them. How many of us in the disruptions of life are like, God, forgive them. This isn't how it should be, but I'm trusting that you are in control of it. I can't control it, and I'm not going to lose my mind trying to prove to people that there's another way. Just model it. Jesus modeled it for us. Author Annie Downs puts it this way. She says, brave people feel fear. They just don't listen to it. And I think that's exactly what Jesus showed us. He felt fear. I don't know if you've had an anxiety attack before, but I started having them a couple years ago. And in that moment when he's praying in the garden, I feel like he had an anxiety attack to the point where he was bleeding sweat. To the point where he's like asking God, fully human, fully God, asking God, please, if there's another way, take this away. But you can do it your way, and I'm okay with that. He didn't listen to the fear. He knew what was happening. He knew what was going to happen, but he chose not to listen to his fear and listen to the voice of peace instead. This is the great reorientation. We don't need the shortcuts. We have the finish line in mind. God offers us hope in situations where it doesn't make sense. There is no hope. And he continually provides those little things that we can look for that's like, no, God's got this. I can trust him. He's been faithful up until this point. Why would he fail me now? He's not torturing me to torture me. It feels that way, but he's not. I trust his character, that he's been faithful before, and he'll be faithful now. So when the world panics, that's when we pray. When the world plans and hustles, and I've got to figure this out so I don't have any pain or I don't have to deal with that, that's when we trust. When the world screams and fights back and seeks vengeance, that's when we forgive. No, it doesn't make sense. But that's the whole purpose of the great reorientation. The world doesn't make sense. It's not as it should be. I don't know why my third graders keep calling each other names. They don't need to do that. But Jesus is offering us another way. The way of peace. The way of hope. That things are not as they should be. But Jesus is actively working to make them as they ought to be. I know a church that has that, uh, that quote there. Matthew 6.34 reminds us of what Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Jesus could have been fixating on all the negative things that were going to happen to him. But he didn't, because he knows that that, that time's going to come. He's just going to worry about today. 
Today has enough trouble for today. I don't know wh- who in this room or in, on this world has the perfect day where nothing ever goes wrong. Troubles are going to come. I'm going to stub my toe. It's going to happen. We're going to have bad days at work. People are going to die in our lives. We're going to get fired for no apparent reason. It's going to snow in April on my spring break, and I'm going to be upset. But God is God, and he is with us. That's what he promised. He also promised we'd have bad days. He didn't come to take our bad days away or our pain away. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in building a relationship with us in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the ickiness, those days where you're uncomfortable. The last two weeks, I don't know why I've been trying to explain it to Seth. I don't know why. I've had anxiety, just unreasonable anxiety for the last two weeks. I don't know if it's been building up because spring break was coming. I don't know if it was because of stuff going on at school or home or at church. I don't know what it was. But in that ickiness, that uncomfortableness, like, God, why don't you just take this, like, feeling and just take it away. Remove it. Two solid weeks of feeling that way. But every day, trusting that God is preparing me for something, that God is working in me, building my character. What are you trying to teach me, God? What, what is something in my life that I'm blinded to that you're trying to work out of me? That's giving me that anxiety. What is it? He, does, he, he didn't take it away. It's still burning in my stomach right now as I'm talking. It's still there. But he has a purpose. He's not trying to torture me. I trust his character that it's going to be okay. So my example from the beginning when I said, you know, have you ever had a time where you're like, I started it and now I want to quit. So in high school, I took a CNA class to see if I wanted to be a nurse, like pursue nursing in college. And um, my mom um, is a nurse and was a nurse at the time. And so I was like, great, she can help me. This will be great. Mother-daughter bonding kind of thing. So I loved the classwork part. I was a great student. I had my desk. It was safe. When they told me to make the bed, I made the bed. When they told me to measure things, I measured them. It was all fine. But halfway through, they told us, okay, you did the classwork part, you did fine, now do the clinical part. So we had to go to an assisted living center and start performing our tasks that we tested out of over here. Um, We had to test out in the clinic to show that we know how to care for people. And my anxiety started building because I was like, what if I accidentally, like, hurt someone Like, this is a real-life person. This was a practice dummy in a little bed that I, like, had to move over as I folded the sheets and made the pillow and washed my hands. And now I'm actually shaving someone. And I'm actually taking care of, like, bathing them and take, you know. And I was getting anxious because I was like, what if I fail? Like, what if this goes terribly wrong and I fail the class and I hurt someone and I get peed on? Like, what happens? I was panicked. I was so panicked. So I kid you not, as that time came, I started getting more anxious. And then when the time came for us to, we had to like change into our scrubs and then we would drive over to the facility and come back, change back, do the rest of school. I would come in 
to my classroom, get my scrubs, go to the bathroom, change, sit on the floor and cry. And I would text my mom, get me out of this. I do not want to do this. Okay, great. We know nursing not for me. Can't handle the pressure. I don't want to do this. I can't handle it. Uh, nobody should be trusting me with a razor next to somebody's face. Like, let's just say that. Please get me out of this. Talk to my counselor. I don't want to do this. And every time <clears throat> she would text me back something to the effect of, I love you, Ty. You can do this. You can do this. It's not going to be forever. And she wouldn't let me quit. And I think she knew that I wouldn't quit either. I just wanted to quit. I wanted that shortcut. And something that I learned um, was something that we practice at Reachway. We talk about it. It's one of our values. We, we live it out is that we are a resilient people. That we can stick things out and not give up. We don't give up on ourselves, each other, our families, our neighborhood, our job, our coworkers, our children. We don't give up. What I regret the most is how much I cried before class because I robbed myself of the peace that I could have had. It was a growing opportunity for me. It was a learning opportunity. And I'm so glad I didn't give up because that's something that I still come back to as an adult. When I'm in a hard situation, I'm like, how am I going to get through this? And I'm like, well, if I could get through CNA class, I can get through this. And it's one of those things that, like, if, if for nothing else... I stayed in that class was just to be an example for the rest of my life to say, God was faithful then. He got you through it. You didn't kill anybody. You might have gotten peed on, but you didn't kill anybody. You're okay. It's going to be all right. This isn't the end of you. It may not make sense why we're going through what we're going through. And you may spend a lot of moments, like I do when I journal, asking God why, which I think he's okay with. It's okay to ask him why. Why is this happening? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? But something that I've learned is when you get through those situations in life, we become more empathetic people because of what we've been through. When I first started having panic attacks, when people would talk to me about it, I was like, you know, I didn't know what to say or do. But now that I've been through so many of them, and they happen for whatever reason, I am so much more empathetic to adults who have had anxiety or deal with anxiety and children who deal with anxiety because it manifests itself in any way. You know, when a kid is struggling with emotions and they act out in a panic, I understand how that feels. Let's find a way that we can be calm. Let's work through it. No, I'm not going to take your pain away, but I'm with you. And I think that's exactly what God was doing with Jesus and what Jesus is doing for us. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we're never alone, no matter what we're facing. And I know that there have been some really, really heavy things in this church family's life recently where it's like, God, just, just heal, just forgive, just let's just move on. You can do it. We know you can do it. And when he doesn't, we have two options. Well, God doesn't love me. Or no, I trust who God is. That he cares about me. He cares about my family. He cares about what I'm going through. 
and it's going to be okay. Hope, you know, we're talking about hoping in something that we don't see yet. This doesn't feel right, but I'm trusting that you're going to make it right, and that's what I'm going to choose to do is hope. I'm going to have that peace. You know, when Jesus is going through these moments and his friends are betraying him one by one, hoping that, God, this doesn't feel right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Friends are supposed to stick by you. But I'm hoping that you're going to make it right. These people are lying about me. They know the truth, and they're choosing to lie about me. That's not how it should be. But God, I'm trusting that you're going to make it right. God, why are they killing an innocent person? This doesn't make any sense. How is this supposed to be right? But I'm choosing to trust you that you're going to make it right. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking about this message. You might have two different perspectives or situations that you're looking at it through. The first might be that you're feeling that God's calling you to something and you're like ignoring him because you're like, that's uncomfortable. I already know that's going to like change everything in my family, flip it upside down. I'm not ready for that. That's going to be hard. It's going to be annoying and it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. And I think it's okay to be in that situation, to feel that tension. God's calling you to something, and you're not ready for it yet. I think that's okay. Or maybe you're feeling um, a little guilty because God's not calling you to something specific in life, and you're kind of just living. I think it's okay to be in that situation too. But there are some things that God is calling all of us to, and I think he wants us to remember specifically today in any season of life that we're in, that God loves you deeply, deeply. And especially in light of this holy week, thinking and reflecting on all the steps Jesus took to the cross, he did this for you. He did it to show you that you're not alone, that you're not the only one who's gone through this, that he's with you, and his peace is extended to you. It's why we have the Holy Spirit, to know we're not alone, and to experience what Jesus did, having the peace, having the hope, that does not make sense to the rest of the world. They expect us to fight back. They expect us to yell back. They expect us to be grumpy, and they expect us to handle these disappointments and disruptions in life like they do. He offers us another way because he loves us so deeply. Something that's going to be hard is when we feel those, those disruptions in life, we want to start making a plan. How can I avoid this? Where can my family go so this does not impact us? How can I protect us? And we start strategizing and hustling so that we're safe, that we can avoid that. I don't think that's what Jesus modeled for us. He just kept living. He could have had Peter kill a couple soldiers. They could have made a good stand at the end, and then he goes off and is arrested and killed and all that. Or he could prove a point right there. Enough of this fighting. Let's model for them that we're peaceful. It, it spoke to the soldiers. 
He's not even fighting back. Is he hiding something? What's going on? Just keep living. The next one's walk with God. Consider how Christ would influence a situation or a moment or a decision. We've been talking about that. That's what this whole great reorientation is. How would Jesus do this? How would he influence my thoughts and my feelings right now? What decision would he make? What would he show people in this moment? And we really only can know that if we're walking with God, if we're reading the Bible, if we're praying, if we're meeting with, with believers, if we're trying to know God more. We'll know Jesus more, and we'll be able to start modeling what he did. And the last one, take care of one day at a time. Something I have to remind myself when I'm having a panic attack is to keep breathing. So a lot of times when you're crying really hard and you want to go, <gasps> it's helpful when you have somebody next to you that's saying, breathe, breathe, breathe. And then you're like, I know I'm breathing. Breathe. Take it one moment at a time. You're going to get through it. Don't give up. And that's hard. It's not easy. None of this is easy. Jesus didn't necessarily do it with a smile on his face. He was crying so hard he started bleeding. And I think we have to remember that. Jesus was fully human. He asked for it to go away. God, if there's a shortcut, I want to take it. But I trust you that you have a plan. So we're going to take communion and respond here. Um, and, I, and there are going to be two songs that play. The first one is a song that I listen to a lot um, when I'm having anxiety attacks. Um, it's a song that reminds me that I'm not alone and that if God cares for the flowers that are outside, if he cares for the birds that are outside, then he cares for me. And then the next one is um, a song by Hillsong, Young and Free, and it just talks about the peace. That my anxiety fails to remember that peace is a promise that you keep. So my anxiety, my fears, what could happen, it doesn't matter when you're my focus, when you're my peace. So if you want to, when we're going to take communion, if you want to take communion, if you want to pray, you want to pray with me or one of the other pastors, we're going to have a, plenty of time to do that. And uh, so we're going to respond by taking communion. And like we read earlier, Jesus took two ordinary things, bread and juice, and gave them extraordinary meaning, which is what he does for us. He takes our normal, broken lives, messy, icky, plain, and he gives us meaning. He fills our lives with hope and peace and joy. That's extended to us. And I love that we take communion every week because that is a reminder, physical, mental reminder, that you're not alone. Christ lives in you. That's all the hope we need. We're not alone. His peace is with us no matter what we face. It doesn't make sense. You're not always going to feel it. I haven't felt it for two weeks but I know that I'm not alone and that he's with me and that I trust who God is 
that he's going to make things right. So as you take communion today, remember how much you are loved by God. Come and eat.